Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. We are your hosts, Josefa Kapadia and Jasper Rivers. Get paid for your pad. 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 Welcome everybody to the next episode of Get Paid for Your Pad. And today I am with Amy Scott, who is the founder of Nomadtopia. So Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I actually was recently on your podcast. So Nomadtopia Mm -hmm. is a radio show and you can subscribe in the podcast form. And it's a show about location independent lifestyle which is something that I think is a really cool subject um, because I think it's really awesome to have a location-independent lifestyle. I've been doing it for almost six years. And so can you tell us a little bit about your, about your show and why you started it? Sure, yeah. So I started, well, I started the website Nomadtopia back in 2011, and that was mainly because I was looking for Uh, kind of an outlet to share all of my own experience and to inspire other people who seem to be curious about what I was doing. I've been location independent since 2004 and obviously have had a lot of um, ups and downs and, you know, different ways that I have um, taken advantage of that uh, freedom since then. So I decided to start the blog to talk about that. And then I started the podcast in... Uh, let's see, fall of 2013. So it's been a little, wait, no, sorry, 2014. So we've, it's been about a year and a half that I've been doing it. And I just, you know, I can share a lot of my own experience, but I like, I don't have kids. I, you know, have never done like extensive overland travel. So things like that, I realized that I wanted to highlight those kinds of lifestyles as well that I can't speak to personally. And so I knew a lot of people who had different stories and different experience to share. And so I started the podcast really as a way to to share all of the variety of lifestyles that, you know, I kind of have like location independence as the common denominator. But apart from that, you know, everybody's doing totally different things. Um, from extensive overland travel to simply living abroad to, you know, just taking longer vacations than normal, you know, whatever it might be. So that's really what the podcast is all about. And what made you decide to start a location independent lifestyle? Well, it's funny because back then it wasn't, you know, a thing like it is now. No one had ever, no one was talking about digital nomads and location independence and all of that. Um, it started out that I just decided I wanted to travel more. And so I actually saved money and quit my job to do around the world trip. And then I met so many people on that trip who were doing, you know, not just traveling long-term, but finding other creative ways to build travel into their life. So like I met a woman from 
England who said, who I met her in Thailand and she said, you know, I'm never spending another winter in London. And so I just set up my life so I don't have to be in London in the winter. And it was stories like that that made me realize that, yeah, I also wanted, you know, to find a way to be more flexible and to continue the adventure and continue exploring the world. So then I had, I was lucky that I have my background is in book publishing. And so it was pretty easy to just take those skills and start working as a freelance editor. So that's what I did once, you know, kind of the savings were starting to run out from my travels and um, it was kind of time for the next phase. I just started working for myself and that was more than 10 years ago. Really cool. And Airbnb combines very well with the location independent lifestyle because when you're on the road, you typically don't want to stay in hotels all the time because it's expensive. Mm -hmm. And also, especially when you're staying a little bit longer in a certain location, it's typically more affordable to rent an Airbnb. Like I'm staying yeah. at an Airbnb right now in Jakarta. I was staying at an Airbnb a couple of weeks ago in Manila. And next month, I'll be in an Airbnb in Bangkok. So, mm -hmm. and and also the hosting aspect is, is very interesting for location independent people because either they have a house back home or you can even rent a place long-term, let's say six to 12 months in a certain location. And then you can rent that one out on Airbnb when you want to like sort of explore the, the surroundings, right? You want to take a couple of weeks to go yeah. to a nearby country or you want to go to a different city. So there's lots of options for nomads like us to use Airbnb. But I'm curious to know, how did you first find out about Airbnb? Was it through traveling or through hosting? Um, gosh, I don't even remember when that was, but I'm guessing it was through traveling first. And I kept, so, and I had, um, I spent quite a few years of my location independence living in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and ended up buying an apartment there in 2009. And it's funny because a lot of people were like, wow, okay, I guess you're really staying. And I immediately was like, no way, you know, this is home exchange. This is Airbnb. You know, there, it actually gives me a lot of flexibility. Um, so I had that in mind from the beginning, but at first, well, at first I was living there. And then after a couple of years, I got married and then my husband and I started traveling and I think we probably used Airbnb some while we were traveling. Um, and I kept thinking about, oh, I should put our place up on Airbnb. But we started out using a couple local um, vacation rental agencies first. And let's see, we just, we finally put it up on Airbnb in, it all starts to blur together after a while. <laughs> Let me think. It must have been, it was about a year and a half ago. So right. that would have been like fall of 2014. And so we've been renting exclusively on Airbnb since then. And before that, you were using some local websites. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and does, we found... That... Sorry, go ahead. So how does that compare? Well, what we found was that both of the ones that we had we'd used one the first year we were gone or the first six months that we were gone and then we came back and then signed up with another one for the year that we were gone after that and with both agencies we found that they just either they weren't being very proactive about 
promoting it and, you know, finding tenants or it just was getting, I don't know which, you know, or maybe it was just kind of getting lost in their website with all the other listings that they had. One of the um, companies has a pretty extensive, um, you know, list of, of properties that they rent out. So, you know, they weren't doing anything in particular to make ours stand out, you know, and so when we were both of those times, I would say at least half of the time we were gone, our place was empty. And that was really kind of the deal breaker for me. You know, I thought, what's the point if we're not even getting a lot of bookings? So when I put it up on Airbnb, let's see, I think the first year, so we were gone for a whole year after I first put it up. And I think, I think it was, I'd say maybe say 10 of those 12 months altogether it was booked, maybe more than that. Um, so we really had a good experience with it. And now we've been gone uh, just about a month and a half this time. And it's been rented all but a couple days so far. So it's definitely been much easier to, yeah, to get bookings and to have the place occupied on a regular basis. So that's been really good. That's great. Yeah. And so you are a remote host. You don't actually meet your guests. Right. So how do you manage that? Yeah. So that's also been an experience. You know, the first agency, they had their own people who would handle the check-in and everything. Um, actually, I guess the second agency did as well, but then there was also kind of a second person who was um, coordinating some other pieces of it. And we had to bring it, you know, connect them with our own cleaning person. They didn't have their cleaning person. It's just, it was kind of complicated. And um Obviously, we had to find our own person once we decided to go the Airbnb route. And um, we actually ended up connecting with a friend of my husband's who was interested in taking on that responsibility. And um, it's been really great. I have, you know, like a spreadsheet, on a Google spreadsheet that we all share to keep track. Actually, we have a couple of them. One is to keep track of all the reservations um, another is to keep track of, you know, like the petty cash that they have on hand to pay for whatever comes up. Um, and I handle all the stuff on the Airbnb website and just, you know, communicate to them when we get a new reservation, we coordinate the check-in time. And then I basically hand all that information over to the guest. Um, and then they meet each other on site. And um, most of the time, then they, the guest also understands that, you know, the property manager that we have there is the primary contact, you know, like if there's mm -hmm. problems or whatever. Sometimes those people end up contacting me with questions, I guess, because I was their, you know, first point of contact. Um, but and yeah, and then they handle the cleaning person coming in and all of that. So it's been it's that's been going very well. Do you give your guests uh, ways to communicate with you other than the email and Airbnb messaging system? Um, it depends. Not usually, you know, I have the Airbnb app on my phone and that gets to me as fast as anything else. Um, and I, those sub messages all get forwarded to my email as well. So that's usually been enough. Um, I think there have been a couple of times maybe that I've connected with somebody like on WhatsApp or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and in fact, I think I've done that a couple of times with, hosts as well when I've been renting a place. Right. And then your, your man on the ground, 
how does how does he communicate with your guests? Um, that's a good question. I honestly don't know. I give them, I pass on to the guest the property manager's um, email address and cell phone number, mm -hmm. and that's up to them. Um, there usually, there probably isn't normally a lot of communication until the guest actually arrives. Um, and then the only, I have seen, you know, sometimes I'll end up getting forwarded a chain of emails or something. So I know that sometimes there's, um, emails going back and forth if they have questions about stuff. I don't know how often they actually call the manager, but they have that information if they need it. Mm -hmm. Great. So you've been doing Airbnb now for about a year and a half. So mm -hmm. you've, you've had uh, quite a few guests. What's the most remarkable experience? Hmm. Good question. You know, it's funny. All the things that stick out are, are mostly, you know, challenges and things that have not gone, gone smoothly, I guess. But in terms of if, you know, remarkable in a good way, um, I think our, I was so nervous when we had our first guest and I knew how important it was, you know, that he'd leave us a good review and, I was just like, fingers crossed, you know, eyes closed, like just hoping he was going to leave us a good review. And his review was like exactly what we needed. You know, he said all the right things. He said like, the place looks exactly like the pictures. The terrace is amazing. You know, um, the property manager was great. And just all hit, kind of hit all those important points. And then I just felt like, ah, oh, okay. You know, we've got that one crucial good listing to start and um that really set me at ease and um and we've had all five star reviews since then so that's been pretty awesome um yeah and so if you want i can also get into some of the things that have not gone so smoothly <laughs> yeah let's get into the challenges because okay. you know, everyone is going to run into those challenges at some point so yeah especially for the people who are new to airbnb or or have just started I think it's better to be prepared because they're gonna they're gonna be there at some point, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's see. One little thing that came up recently, and I think this was just it actually was a communication issue between the two guests. There's a couple staying there right now, and um, apparently the guy had arranged had been talking to the property manager, and they had all you know they'd sorted everything out that the cleaning lady. So this is a longer rental. And when I do more than a month, I include um, biweekly cleaning in the price. So, you know, I told them that that was going to be part of the package. And so they were coordinating what time she was going to come and whatever. And then apparently he was gone and he forgot to tell his girlfriend that the cleaning lady was coming. <laughs> and this girl doesn't speak very good Spanish. And she like freaked out and would not let the cleaning lady in. Uh, and so she went home, you know, and like called our property manager, like what's going on. Um, so we sorted it all out, you know, and she was able to come the next week and everyone had the information they needed. Um, but you know, we ended up paying her, um, for her time because she travels from, I don't know where, you know, to get into the neighborhood where the apartment is. So that just reinforced, you know, the importance of having your, um, just having clear communication, you know, between everybody. But of course, you know, there's only so much you could do to make sure like the boyfriend talks to the girlfriend, right? 
Yeah, I mean, you, you can't really blame that on, uh, on you. Right, right. <laughs> if that's the worst issue you had to deal with, then... Yeah. Uh, I would say well, that. I think the other kinds of things that have come up have been um, several times we've had challenges with people arriving late and like having trouble tracking them down, right? To find out what's going on. Like I've got the property manager messaging me, like they're not here yet. Any, have you heard anything? And I'm like, no, I haven't heard anything. And, and you know, like they're trying to call, they're trying to email and they don't know if they're getting the messages. And of course, as we all know, as travelers too, that you know, sometimes you arrive somewhere new and like there's no Wi-Fi or you don't have, you know, a local SIM card to be able to get online. And like you, you just, you know, sometimes that communication can be really challenging. Um, just a couple, I guess like last month, we had a couple coming down on the bus from Brazil and apparently it had been, there had been really heavy rainstorms and their bus was like three hours late. And they just couldn't figure out a way to let us know. So my manager is sitting there for hours, you know, and I pay her extra. Um, we have kind of, you know, we have like a standard price for um, check-ins and stuff, but I do pay them extra if it ends up being like a crazy amount of time that they're stuck there. Um, and so, yeah, again, it's like, how do you, I don't really know how to do that better, right? Because if, if people are offline, they're offline. Um, and so we just, yeah, do what we can and, and try to communicate as possible. But sometimes it's just, it's not easy. Yeah, I have the same issues sometimes. And one thing that I notice is that sometimes guests think that they can check in whatever time. They think yeah. that, you know, you are there and they can just show up whatever time they want, right? But instead, you know, somebody is waiting for them at a certain period, a certain time. Right. So, so my standard check-in time is 3 p.m. And most people, they check in at that time. Yeah. And I have had several times where I'm trying to contact the guests because they, they haven't showed up yet, like 3.30 or 4 o'clock. And my, my manager is, is in the same position as yours. You know, she's at, at the apartments, which waiting, mm -hmm. and she wants to know what's going on. And then sometimes, you know, it could be the flight that's delayed or, or something else that happens. But I've also had a couple of times where the guests were just hanging out in town. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they finally shows up, show up at like 5 p.m. or something. And, and they go, and, and my, my manager asked them, like, wait, what, what, what happens? You know, is your flight delayed or what happened? And it was like, no, it was just like went for a drink. Mm. <laughs> so it's also, it's also, I found that it's important to really be very clear to your guests that somebody is waiting at the apartment. And yeah. so if they are late, that they, you know, it would be helpful if they let us know and at least do the best they can to sort of arrive on time, right? Yeah, for sure. An another thing I do is I always ask for the flight number so yes. that I can, you know, I can check to see if the plane has landed. Because sometimes people's, people's, phone, people's phones don't always work in foreign countries, right? Right. <laughs> So you're right. Yeah, I always check for work. that. But then the times that it's been an issue, like I said, it's either been the bus and there's no way to check, yeah. or they're like a friend's driving them, or like all kinds of random things like that. The flights are a lot easier to keep track of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get a lot of guests who are driving in from 
from Germany or from right. France. And those ones are a bit tricky too, because if they get stuck in traffic and you know, they they don't have free G on their phones when they're in, mm -hmm. in another country or they don't want to use it because it's too expensive. Then uh, that's a bit challenging too. The flight, the flight arrivals are the easiest ones. You can check what yeah. time. And after hosting, you know, 250 groups or something, I'm pretty much can predict how long it will take them from, to get from the airport to the apartment. So, yeah. So that's, yeah, uh, I actually, I just thought of something else. We actually had the opposite problem with one of our first guests and maybe once more than one that their flight arrived super early in the morning. And I told them, you know, like, I forget whatever time that the manager would be able to meet them. And I said, there's a couple cafes nearby. You can wait there whatever. And then I found out that the um, building manager, not our, not our manager, but like the, you know, the manager of the whole building um, complained to my property manager because the people were like hanging out in the hallway, like outside our apartment door. Um, so somebody let them into the building and they were sitting there for like hours. And obviously like the neighbors weren't okay with that. But so I put something in um, both the listing itself and then also in the email people get that says, you know, like if you're early, you're going to have to go, like you have to wait somewhere else. You cannot hang out in the building. Um, and since then I haven't had any more problems like that, but that made me nervous because, you know, I don't want to piss off my neighbors and have them be like, you can't do this anymore. Right. Yeah. No, I hear you. Uh, I always tell people to go to the uh, train station, the central train station in Amsterdam. Mm. So most people arrive by flight and they have to take the train anyway. And then at the train station, there's there's very good lockers. They're very cheap and there's a lot of space in the locker. So I always tell people, you know, you get to the train station, you could come all the way to my apartment and, and drop off your luggage if you're early, if you arrive before the standard check-in time. But... I think a better way to take advantage of the time is to just leave your luggage at the train station mm -hmm. because that's very close to a lot of the highlights in Amsterdam. And then you can explore the city without having to go all the way to my apartment and then go back where you want to go to. So, and, and usually people take that recommendation. So, Yeah, great idea. So that's usually how I solve that. But do, do, guests, uh, do you allow guests to drop off their luggage before the earliest check-in time? No, because we just, there's not really a way to do it. You know, there's nowhere to leave it. Um, and I mean, if the manager is able to meet them, then we just let them check in. Um, we, I don't have, I think I maybe do have in my listing, like 3 p.m. is the check-in time. But honestly, we have, you know, like most people who are coming in from out of the country are coming on an international flight that arrives at like, anywhere between like five and eight in the morning. So almost all of our check-ins are in the morning and, you know, we have to have the place available for them the night before anyway. Um, also our, you know, I know some people like there's another um, host in Buenos Aires who's got it down, you know, it's like a machine, like a well-oiled machine where, you know, he might have someone check out in the morning and someone else checks in the same day. And we just don't have like our cleaning ladies availability and stuff isn't, uh, you know, so flexible that we can do it that tight. So like the place is always available the day, ready the day before anyway. So 
you know, we just have it set up that people mm -hmm. can check in in the morning, but okay. I don't think we've ever done it earlier than like, I forget, eight or 9am. Um, but you know, yeah, we're flexible about that because there's nowhere that they could leave their luggage. And like, if you get in at eight in the morning and we can't let you check in till three, it would just be like a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that's how we have it set up. Okay. Okay. I got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I, so I do same day check-in so i do my, you know i i don't take that gap day yeah because that would that would kind of hurt my earnings because i got a lot of two and three day bookings yeah you know and so i would have probably six seven or eight bookings a month and wow, sometimes yeah. there's a gap sometimes there's a gap day which is more convenient but you, you also lose it on the day but I, I managed to make it work to do uh you know, guests leaving the same day as the other guests are checking in, and well, I gotta be grateful to have the the uh, the person that manages my place because she makes it a priority. Mm -hmm. I also pay her very well, um, so that it's also good for her. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that way it works. It, it's it's always worked so far, but uh, it it is a bit of an issue sometimes with the guests if they arrive really early like like mm -hmm. you said like 8 a.m in the morning but then the uh the storage place at the train station is actually uh, a very convenient option because they can just drop off the luggage and it's right in the center of town so they can sort of explore that area yeah. and then my apartment is a little bit more south of the city so yeah it usually right. works out well the guests are always happy with that but sometimes they insist on dropping their luggage in which case you know, my checkout time is at noon. So the, right. the guests that are leaving that day, they have to be out before noon. And sometimes they leave earlier. And if they leave earlier, then I can ask my, my manager to to show up earlier and let the guests drop off the luggage and then clean the apartment while the guests are having lunch or, or having breakfast somewhere. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of case by case. One time it worked out really well where I had guests who were leaving on a certain day and they want they had a evening flight so they wanted to ask me if they could leave their luggage in the apartment and pick it up at like 8 p.m in the evening mm -hmm. before going to the airport but the guests who were arriving that day also asked me if they could drop off their luggage in the morning uh -huh. so what i did i actually connected the guests and i told them like listen you know if you guys want to help each other the guests that are leaving if they can leave their luggage until 8 p.m and then the guests who are arriving if they can leave the if they can drop off the luggage in the morning then it's a win-win situation, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. So, so they all ended up agreeing on that. And uh, so that worked out well. Yeah. But and I just thought of another situation that um, I just wanted to share because, you know, I said, like, I don't charge, like, for the night before people are getting in in the morning. But there was time. Usually our cleaning lady is most available on Fridays. She definitely will be flexible for other times if we need her, but... Um, there was one time where somebody was supposed to check out Friday morning and, or, you know, had reserved through Thursday night. And then she said, my flight doesn't leave until like 10 PM on Friday. Is it okay if I check out, you know, at like six or whatever. And that meant we were losing the prime day for our cleaning lady to do her job. Right. So I did end up charging her for Friday night and explained, you know, like, we're going to lose, we're going to lose that time basically. And she was fine with that. So yeah, I've done some of that too, kind of case by case, figuring out, um, you know, what's going to work best for everybody. Mm -hmm. 
I guess you could recover some of the, the loss of those gap days by charging extra for like an early check-in and a late checkout. You ever mm -hmm. considered that or? Um, not directly, but yeah, that's a good point. I, I guess I thought about, I mean, one thing that I've done also is, um, I think right now I have my minimum is four days. Okay. Um, because again, it just because of everybody's schedules, it just seems to work a lot better for us if it's not, you know, like if we had, like you said, like six to eight bookings a month, like that just sounds crazy to me. Um, <laughs> although I can see how you could make a lot more money from it. I mean, we actually get a lot of longer rentals. Like right now, we actually have a Dutch couple. They're there for four months. Oh, wow. But how, much, yeah. how much do you charge for the long terms versus the short term? Um, let me think. I don't remember exactly how um, the math works out. It prob it's probably, yeah, it's probably like half um, right. what I charge for the night, like it's, you know, the nightly rate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I got requests as well for people who want to stay for a month or two, but it's not really worth it for me because, you know, I'm, I'm making about, let's say four to five thousand dollars a month doing mm -hmm. it doing mostly like two three four day stays right but if you were to rent an apartment for a month you can probably find something for like two twenty five hundred and so i don't see how that person is gonna pay four thousand dollars because that right. would be the amount that i i would need to to ask you know in order not yeah. to lose out too much yeah and so i don't see anyone anyone paying that well even if they wanted to pay out i'd probably tell them like hey listen like you're you're welcome to to pay me four grand to stay in my house but you, you know i'll be honest with you you can probably find something a lot cheaper mm -hmm. because there's places that are that are meant to be sort of rented out for for one two or three months right right so um, it's yeah a lot, it's a lot less hassle but also you know my my manager makes makes a decent income off of my listing too right so I tell her, oh, we have a guest for the whole month, and she's probably not going to be too happy about that either. Yeah, right. Well, and you know, I think something that's probably important to and helpful for people um, for us to mention is, you know, I think it really depends on what your what your goals are, right? Like, I know that for you, this is a significant portion of your income, whereas for me, I'm mainly just trying to cover my costs, mm -hmm. you know, because we had those times when I was paying for the apartment back in Buenos Aires at the same time, you know, we're paying rent or hotels or, you know, whatever it is, we're paying accommodations wherever we're traveling. Um, and so my main goal was just to not be paying double. <laughs> um, and you know, I definitely, the way I have it priced, um, yeah, we're definitely, you know, covering, covering all of those costs. And, um, you know, when things go well, we're doing, you know, more than just covering our costs. Um, but that's really, you know, my goal with it. Yeah, that's a good point. One other thing I wanted to talk about is you make your guests sign a separate contract outside mm -hmm. of Airbnb. And I recently did a consult with a lady who was interested in doing that as well. And she asked me, how does that work? Uh, what should I put in the contract, etc." So I thought about you, I thought I'm going to have to ask Amy about this because she's doing mm -hmm. it. So how, how does that work? Like, do you, do you tell people on the, on the listing or do you tell them after they book your place? 
Right. So this is something we actually learned uh, the hard way um, because I, so, well, I had connected the guy I mentioned before, who's like this crazy super host, you know, super busy hosting in Buenos Aires. He was the one who I had talked to about, you know, like, do you have any tips? What do we need to know, especially about doing this in Argentina? And he was the one who said that um, a lawyer had recommended to him that he have the separate contract and he was generous enough to share that contract with us. So he was the same one. Um, so you're talking about Jago? Yeah. Ah, okay. So Jago is a former uh, guest on the podcast. I actually think he was on the podcast twice, Jago Korea. So uh -huh. if you're interested, yeah. if, if, if anyone's interested in more about hosting in Buenos Aires and check out the episode with Jago Korea. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Yes. No, no worries. So, um, yeah, so Diego sent us his form and that was super helpful. And so I just, you know, gave it to my property managers and said, you know, when people like this is part of our check-in process, when people come have them sign this. And I think it was maybe our second guest um, got really upset about it and just was like, oh, I didn't know I was going to have to sign anything and I don't know what this is. And plus it's in Spanish, you know, to, to, hold up in court and he really was bent out of shape about it and um you know so the property manager let me know and i ended up sending him a message like look i'm really sorry oh and he said specifically too like you really should tell people that before they arrive so it's not a surprise mm -hmm. and i hadn't even thought about that and i was like yeah you're really you're right i'm really sorry and you know i will definitely do that going forward so thanks for the feedback um so now i have it in the listing that, you know, when you arrive, you'll be asked to sign a short contract. And then uh, I think it's also in kind of my welcome, you know, confirmation email. Um, and since then, we haven't had any more issues with it. And I also told our managers that if anybody is like, well, what's this? Why do I have to sign this? Um, we decided the easiest explanation is that Airbnb's host guarantee um, does not extend to Argentina, you know, it doesn't cover every country where they operate for some reason. And so, you know, it's just like an extra layer of protection for both parties, really. And that seems to make everybody happy enough. So, um, yeah, so it hasn't been, we haven't had any more issues with it. And, um, yeah, it just feels, it feels good to have that extra you know, the extra protection. It's for, and for, I feel like it's really for both sides. So. Right. And what are some specifics that are mentioned in the contract? Oh, I was afraid you're going to ask me that. I haven't looked at it in a while. Um, one of the important things, and um, I think this is true in a number of countries, but in Argentina, it can be very difficult to get people out of your apartment. Like I've had friends who've had just nothing to do with Airbnb, you know, had problems like with squatters and like all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, so one of the main things in the contract is that, um, you know, the contract or, you know, the stay is only for these days and that there's an additional fee of, I forget what, like way more than we actually charge per night per day if you stay over the time that you know of the reservation um and then i think there's some stuff in there about um about damages um you know both that we're not responsible if 
something happens to you or your stuff. And then on the flip side that, um, you know, that you're responsible for any damage to the apartment beyond normal wear and tear. Mm -hmm. Um, I do still have the security deposit set up through Airbnb um, and knock on wood, never had to use it. <laughs> how, how does that work, by the way? Because I haven't used that. So people will, Airbnb doesn't pay out that security deposit, right? They keep it. Right. I think, well, I don't even think, I don't even think they actually charge the person unless you say that there's some damage. I okay. think I, I honestly don't know. You never um, had to use it. No, never had to use it. Okay, great. And you never had to enforce anything in that contract either. No. Okay. Nope. That's good. Yeah. So yeah, that's been really good. Um, yeah, and we haven't had yeah we haven't had any problems you know with like unreasonable damage or anything like that. Um, and like I've had people you know like break a glass or something and. Um, without even asking, you know, or telling us she went and replaced it. And then when she was checking out, she told the manager that she had broken a glass. Um, so yeah, that's all been really straightforward. Cool. And um, I was just wondering, how did you get in touch with Jago? Did you get to know him through the Airbnb Academy Facebook group? Yeah, I think that might be how. I don't remember. Oh, mm, trying to remember because I also actually did email when I was trying to find a property manager, I actually contacted a couple other Airbnb hosts in my neighborhood um, through Airbnb, through the website, you know, and asked them if by any chance they had a manager who might be interested in taking on another property. Um, but I don't think that's how I found him. Yeah, I have a feeling it must have been through your Facebook group. Okay, cool. So cool. thank you. Yeah. yeah you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who aren't uh, aware of our, the Facebook group, there's a Facebook group called Airbnb Academy, and it has about 150 Airbnb hosts from all around the world. And it comes as a, uh, as a bonus to the video course that I launched on a platform called Udemy. So if you're interested in joining the Facebook group, check out the video course. It has pretty much all the information that's also in the book, plus a number of bonuses. And the Facebook group, but also the guidebook and a number of other tools that you can use to sort of optimize your listing. So, but um, yeah, so wow, this was a really interesting uh, conversation. I've learned a few things myself, and I hope the listeners have learned a lot as well. Good. So, if people want to find out more about what you do, which is location independent lifestyle, mm -hmm. how can they find you? Uh, yeah, the best place to go is nomadtopia.com. And um, I'm on all the usual social media. Uh, mostly these days I'm using Instagram and I'm at nomadamy. Awesome. So we'll include those links in the show notes to this episode. And Thanks. with that, we've come to the end of the episode. So Amy, thank you very much for taking the time to be on the show. Absolutely. Been, Thanks for having me. It's been really interesting. And for those who are listening, thanks for listening, of course. And next week, there will be another episode of Get Paid for Your Pad. So we'll see you then.
Get paid for your pet. 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 Get paid for your pet.